This election is a choice. This election will determine whether we can come together. This election is absolutely crucial. What's really important, of course, is to all us and a giant straight-through rival. Please explain. You're listening to the 4ZZZ Breaks the Election podcast. Hello, election watchers. Welcome to the 4ZZZ Breaks the Election podcast, where our newsroom breaks down what's happening in the election. My name is Alexis Pink. Joining us today is the 4ZZZ newsroom. Hi, my name's Angelique, and I study English and Communications at UQ. Hey, I'm Harrison, and I study journalism at QUT. So on today's show, we're going to recap the big stories from the second week of campaigning, including the continued controversy around Catherine Deves and her comments on transgender people, Labor's big Pacific push, interest rates and what it means for you, and finally, the misfortunes of the One Nation campaign. Lots of fun ahead. Let's start at the top. Who would like to talk to me about Catherine Deves? Yeah. Well, uh, Caf- Catherine Deese, Liberal Party candidate for Ronga, has been in the news all week and her controversial comments regarding transgender people has caused division in the Liberal Party. Deve's comments were regarding trans women in sports, however, she does have a history of problematic and transphobic remarks. And here's a little bit of how that sounds on the radio. Uh, look, when the member for North Sydney uh, was saying those things, uh, what what I thought is that this is an argument about equality and fairness. And I'm standing up for women and girls in this space. Uh, there is a collision of rights. And when we have these disagreements about human rights, we really should be able to conduct these debates in a respectful um, in a respectful way. Scott Morrison and Treasurer Josh Frydenberg have defended the decision for Deves to remain endorsed. Otto Frydenberg did state in an interview that whilst it was an important issue to discuss, the manner of Deves' comments were inappropriate. Deves is also the founder of advocacy group Save Women's Sport Australia, an organisation which seeks to ban trans women from, paying, from playing in women's sport. Not all in the Liberal Party are willing to support Deves, however, and several high-profile members of the party have called for her in disendorsement. The list is growing, but includes New South Wales Treasurer Matt Keane, State MP Felicity Wilson, and the member of North Sydney, Trent Zimmerman. Amongst them, former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull, who said the situation seems designed to whip up animosity and hatred against some of the most vulnerable people in our community. Anthony Albanese, the leader of the opposition, said that the hand selection of Catherine Dees by Scott Morrison spoke to his poor judgment. Albanese went on to state that the situation was an example of chaos and division within the Liberal Party. So this issue is really just killing the Liberal Party at the moment in terms of um, oxygen on this campaign trail. It's all over the place. It's been going for two weeks now, and they just can't seem to shake it at any stage. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the broader impact for a minute. Um, what do you think this means in transgender communities? How do you think they've responded? What, what have you been hearing? Yeah, well, it's pretty evident that transphobic rhetoric, it's actually rising. It's becoming more popular. And, um, yeah, and the Australian Labor Party has actually been attacked consistently by Liberals for being run by factions. Yeah, OK, let's talk about um, the Liberal Party and their factions. So this is obviously not a straight-down-the-line issue for people inside the LNP. There is a big faction of moderates and a big faction of conservatives. What do you think is driving this particular issue? Um, Why is this still on the agenda, even though it's very clear the LNP doesn't want to talk about this? Well, um, yeah, I believe, as you were saying, like a a large part of the LNP voter base is conservative. So that's kind of ideas, you know, they're, you know, they they strike true to a certain uh, Christian, I'd say, conservative group in LNP's voter base. So um, 
you have you have ministers uh, appealing to that while you have other ministers on the more moderate side who really don't you know aren't really vocal either way but kind of have to disembowel any hate speech so it's so it kind of um pits two sides of the uh, lnp together in a way yeah it also seems to be increasingly a wedge issue for the uh, for the coalition in general on the right you hear um Caddis Australia Party talking about explicitly wanting to ban transgender people from women's sport and you talk about the Greens and Labour who are very much on the other side of that argument, arguing that this is just not something that we should be involving ourselves in it's starting to get pretty hard for the Coalition what direction do you think they should go in at this stage? What clears the air for them? I know, I think the best way would just be to ignore it and move on, but even that would cause further discussion as well. Like, why well, are they sweeping it under the rug? So, um, I don't know. It's it's a it's a st- sticky situation they're in. And uh, if they were trying to ignore it, they're doing a really bad job <laughs> on that particular thing. Yeah. Um, Catherine Deves's profile so far in the media has only gotten stronger as time has gone on. Do you think she has much of a shot in Moringa, or is it still just too much to believe at this stage that? Um, she could win, even though this is a traditional, you know, coalition voting seat. Definitely, I guess, affects her chances, but it's ultimately going to depend on how everyone, you know, views her remarks, really, and yeah. Do you think this is important to the people who live in that area, who are traditionally much more wealthy, traditionally socially progressive people? Is this something that, you know, these families would latch onto? Yeah, if they're socially progressive, it's definitely an important issue for them. It might not be their number one thought, but it's still definitely important. And, um, yeah, it's definitely contributing to a more open society within Australia. Interesting. Okay, let's move on. Um, Let's start talking about Labour in the Pacific. Take us away. What have we got? Um, So Labour has been making big plans in the Pacific this week in the wake of China's security deal with the Solomon Islands. Um, According to Shadow Foreign Minister Penny Wong, the party aims to address the decade worth of development gains that have been lost due to the pandemic and coalition cuts. Included in Labor's plan is a $525 million in foreign aid, broadcasting ABC content to the Indo-Pacific region and a revamp of the already existing Pacific Australia Labor Mobility Scheme. In a press conference earlier this week, International Development Shadow Spokesman Pat Conroy promised that included in the plan would be the abolition of the government's current agricultural visa. Criticising the visa, Conroy noted that not a single worker has entered this country under this current agricultural visa and that the plan has failed farmers and the broader Australian community. Agricultural Minister David Littleproud says that scrapping the current agricultural plan would impose a cost of living increase on every Australian. And National Farmers Federation Chief Executive Tony Ma describes the plan as an example of a tricky spin. Labor will keep the agricultural visa in name only with the visa to be limited to workers from the Pacific nations, he said. Interesting take on that. Um, A story that we're going to expand on, no doubt. Let's start at the top. Traditionally, the coalition has been strong on things about national defence and um, foreign affairs, especially in areas of trouble like the Solomon Islands, not the absolutely most stable republic in the Pacific. Mm. Why do you think this is backfiring on them so badly at this stage? Mm. 
Um, I guess it just uh, shows, like, I know how, I don't want to say militant, but how um, aggressive the LNP is with their foreign policy, you know, with, uh, you know, asylum seekers, you know, turning them back. Um, yeah, it just, it's just a progression of a trend, I guess. And um, I think what's interesting is uh, how, AL, how the Labour Party is um, turning this into a election, like, talking point. Yeah, um, they've certainly turned a traditional weakness into a strength at this point. It's very clear that they are winning the public argument on this particular thing. So, on this uh, agricultural scheme, some of what the um, Farmers Federation have said about this is not technically untrue, Mm. specifically about things like who picks out fruit. It is something that is done by seasonal workers on a regular basis, and that does mean backpackers and does mean people from the Pacific Islands. But if the visa isn't working, the visa isn't working, right? Mm. So what's the specific gain here for the um, Farmers Federation? Are they really thinking this is going to, you know, be a big impact if no one is going to be affected? Mm. Yeah, I think... And I think it's mainly optics, if you can criticise a plan through any way, you, like, criticise it that way. Because, like, the, you know, as uh, Cotteroy mentioned, the actual current visa... Um, didn't really... No one's actually, like, gone through the country with that visa, so... Yeah, and this is specifically the visa that was supposed to bring UK residents in. Mm. There may be other reasons why UK visitors aren't coming in. Can anyone think of a global pandemic that might be causing that problem? (laughs) I can think of one, yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, international travel is just not back to where it was. Mm. Maybe this visa isn't working for much more technical reasons. The perception of China Mm. um, is... Is the idea of China as a threat really starting to take hold in this election? Yeah, I believe so. We saw a little bit in the previous election with those uh, Clive Palmer ads about that airport in uh, WA. And I think just, you know, as the election cycles like progress, you know, it, the threat of China is becoming more and more a talking point. And um, whether that's as big of a threat as uh, people make it out to be, it's, it's, I guess it's to be seen. All right, on to the next topic. So... There was a big announcement this week on inflation. Yeah. Well, so uh, Australia is uh, experiencing a 20-year record high inflation rate of 5.1%, which is set to dispro- disproportionately affect younger Australians. It is said to be the largest hike in inflation since the 2008 financial crisis. In an attempt to curb the rising inflation, the Reserve Bank of Australia has tipped interest rates to rise. This move will increase repayments to the nearly 3 million Australians that currently hold a mortgage. This rise most obviously affects the non-discretionary inflation figures, which sit even higher than the, than the general inflation rate at 6.6%. The cost of basic everyday essentials like fuel, food, housing and health services have significantly increased. With housing prices in particular, Westpac is tipping a 2% jump in consumer prices over the past quarter, a 4.9% eventual surge over the year. Westpac's chief economist, Bill Evans, said that the biggest contributor to the rise is the cost of building. It's the cost of building a house and the cost of construction materials and construction wages. The coalition have said the rising inflation figures are largely out of their control, blaming the coronavirus pandemic and the war in Ukraine. Prime Minister Scott Morrison has said the rising inflation rates do not include the effect of the fuel crisis, cut in stemming price increases. Morrison also mentioned that the party aims to ensure that the Australian economy is set up to perform in a very challenging environment. The Labour Party, however, has attributed these inflation rises to poor economic management. Shadow Treasurer Jim Chalmers said that the war in Ukraine does not explain a decade 
of the current governments going after people's job security and wages, and that it's not a good economic management if Australians are falling behind economically. So, does Labor have a point there? Um, is this a government failure to control prices in the country? Is this bad news for the government in general? There, were, there weren't any, like, I guess, major um, world events, like no pandemic, no war, um, when the global financial crisis was happening in 2008. So in some way, that's contributing to the increase in cost of living. 6.6%. That's pretty high. Mm. Tell me about the impacts of that. Who's going to be the worst off? Particularly, well, young Australians and also those that are kind of more vulnerable, maybe older Australians, and basically anyone who doesn't really have um, any major like life savings or the or people living paycheck to paycheck, you know, people that are just barely getting by anyway and the cost of living is putting more pressure on them to just... So uh, poor and working class people, yes. insecure people and the elderly. Yes. Mm. Basically <laughs> anyone financially <laughs> unstable. Yeah, so... This will increase mortgage rates as well. It, well, it might increase mortgage rates. The RBA is yet to make a decision. It will make a decision sometime this month. Um, if, if the rates increase, is this bad news for the coalition in general, considering their long-term history on wanting to campaign on lower rates? Yeah, definitely. And I think also um, it's not just affecting them, but then it's going to affect absolutely everyone, everyone that's got a mortgage. Um, and just more of the Australian population. Even though an increase in mortgage rates doesn't necessarily mean anything about how you're managing the economy. It's just how we manage money through the system. What we're saying is this is a perception problem, not so much an economic one. Yes, mm. yeah. I don't want to, but we're going to have to talk about One Nation. What's happening with Pauline Hanson's campaign? Um, so, Pauline Hanson's One Nation party has targeted moderate Liberals this week and has decided to preference Labor in several seats over the Liberal Party. Um, the move comes as a retaliation from Hanson on Liberal moderates who choose, who choose to preference One Nation behind candidates from the Jackie Lambie network. Um, Hanson stated that she was shocked and disgusted with the Liberal Party's decision to support Lambie without even debating or negotiating with her. She followed up by saying that she was just that she was doing Scott Morrison's job for him by getting rid of the Liberals destroying the Conservative Party. Um, Pauline Hanson has also had one of her cartoons removed from Facebook and Twitter. However, it remains available on her YouTube channel. The video claims that Labor plans to use the electoral fraud to win the election and that they had done so to win in 2011 as well. It also contained racist connotations around the origin of the COVID-19 pandemic. As an Australian Electoral Commission spokesperson has stated, there is no evidence that the level of apparent multiple voting in Australia has ever been sufficient to overturn the margin in any one contest. So much to pull apart here. Yeah. So the One Nation campaign, it's been derailed pretty badly at this point, you would have to say. Yeah. yeah. Once again, sort of going down the whole preferences and um, stunts line. We had at the start of the election the inclusion of George Christensen in the campaign yes, in yeah. an yes. unwinnable spot on the One Nation ticket. Yeah. Now we're talking about preference deals and the Americanization of this election, which I really want to talk about. But mm. let's start with, do you think One Nation actually has a, a message that wants to get out of the election? Or is it just, hey, Pauline Hanson is running, you should vote for her? 
I know sometimes it's hard to tell with some of the things she says, but um, I don't know. It's um, I think with you have other parties that have kind of um, come forth since you know One Nation side. You have like Clive Palmer's United Party. It's sometimes it's hard to tell like, you know, what's the difference between those parties in terms of like economics and all that. Brings us back to another story that we did this week on sorry the Sky News Outsiders debate where they had. Pauline Hanson, Clive Palmer, Campbell Newman, and Bob Catter in a room, and they all furiously agreed with each other for about <laughs> half an hour. So is there a difference between either of these parties, or is it all just shock and awe, right-wing, dysphoria sort of stuff? Yeah, I think I think it's just optics, I guess. Like, um, you're mentioning the Americanization of this election. You know, it's, it's mainly the face of the party rather than the actual party itself. Yeah, very much so. So what I want to talk about in the Americanization of the election is the talk of vote rigging. Mm, yeah. This is not unheard of in Australian politics, but this is definitely an import in style. Mm. Because we've just come out of a series of American elections where accusing your opponents of rigging the ballot has been sort of a just genuine campaign strategy that people use. Mm. However, the AEC stepping in immediately and saying there's just no evidence for that, does that sort of mute and blunt that attack because because that's yeah. not something that we see in american elections there's no unified electoral commission like there is here hmm. does that help sort of tamp down those issues well you had um with the american election you did have people actually at voting booths like being like there's no fraud happening and that really didn't stop the discussion either i guess i know people on those fringes who tend to believe this kind of thing you know i guess you know, official governmental, you know, declarations aren't really going to sway them to a, like either position. I guess there's the other part of that is the limited use of electoral um, uh, voting computers and voting machines mm. to produce yeah, ballots. Yeah, in yeah. Australia, the vast majority of ballots, except for a few very niche things like um, voting for the blind and telephone voting, um, they're all done by paper and pen. Well, pencil. A lot less room to talk about how it could go horribly wrong because mm. there's legitimate concerns about voting machines and then there's paranoia about vote rigging. And those yeah. things are just not very far apart when you're describing them. Mm. So, a little bit of trivia to end on. Yeah. Why do we use pencils in election? So you can erase if you make a mistake. <laughs> you're going to hate for having to say this one out loud. Yeah. Yes. It's because it's very easy to work out when a pencil can no longer write, but it's harder to work out when a pen will no longer write. Oh, wow. Yeah. They also store indefinitely. Pencils? Yeah. Mm. Pencils are just pieces of... Graphite. Graphite yeah. Yeah. In, a, in a piece of wood. Yeah. Ink can dry out. Oh, wow. yeah. True, true. So mm. there you go. A little bit of um, election trivia Would have never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> So that's all the time we've got for on the podcast today. Thank you for listening to the 4ZZZ Breaks the Election podcast. For more news, head to 4ZZZ.org.au forward slash news or listen to 4ZZZ on 102.1 FM on DAB Plus Digital Radio via the 4ZZZ website or on your favourite podcasting app. If you have a tip-off or feedback about the show, please email us, newsroom at 4ZZZ.org.au and if you'd like to support us, please head to our website, 4ZZZ.org.au forward slash support to become a subscriber to 4ZZZ. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you tomorrow.